0: Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. I feel super high maintenance this morning. I have, I have my water, I have my tea, I got my, uh, uh, my handkerchief to cough into. I feel like I'm all kinds of, of needy this morning, and that is, that is because I <clears throat> have a freshly mowed lawn, if, uh, if any of you understand. <laughs> And can relate to that. Uh, my allergies are not not my friend. So we'll see uh, how long my voice tends to laugh. And I at last, and I apologize for uh, uh, for any sniffling and coughing that I might do in the microphone. Uh, Well, it is my privilege to get to this morning, get to open up God's Word and share with you guys out of the uh, second book of Hebrews. So if you've been with us, uh, we have just now started a sermon series that will carry well into the summertime. Um, We're just going to be working through the book of Hebrews chapter by chapter, uh, taking kind of an oversight or sometimes even just kind of a narrowed kind of glimpse out of it. Uh, Maybe not necessarily covering everything that is in the chapter, um, but hopefully at least uh, making a good attempt and highlighting some of the main themes. And as you see even by our sermon graphic, um, as, as Chris uh, was fearful to create um, sermon heresy, he of course titled this sermon series, Jesus Greater Than, because that's what everybody titles sermon series about the book of Hebrews, because it clearly is the message throughout, especially clear uh, in these first few chapters where the author is spending a ton of energy to point out how Jesus is far superior than this or that. And he moves through and he builds this argument by talking about how Jesus is, uh, especially to a Jewish audience, that all those things that the Jewish audience would have praised or would have held higher uh, or would have found great comfort into. The author of Hebrews' uh, goal was to remind them of those things and then draw to how Jesus was greater than even that. Um, and so I, I do want to take a pause and maybe encourage you guys, because we will be following this this pattern. We'll do a chapter a week uh, until we get all the way through the book. And so this is a great opportunity for you guys to uh, uh, to join together with us on staff and all uh, kind of together as a body. T- and throughout the week, spend time, open up, read ahead, because next week will be three. So you know what you can read this week. You can read chapter three. The week after that will be four. And so I, I highly encourage you to read um, ahead, If find out whatever way that it is, if you're not. Uh, so much, or uh, uh, sit down and kind of open up and read uh, that much at length. Maybe you're an audio person and you can go and you can find an, an audio file. There's plenty of those online of people reading God's Word, uh, and you can just listen to that. Maybe that's your, replaces your routine to work is just kind of popping in that tape or, yeah, tape. Who has tapes anymore? Uh, turn it on your iPod and then, uh, uh, and listening to the next chapter ahead to prepare our minds to come together and to do that. Um, I also had I, had, I had had a professor who, uh, encouraged us, and no lie, this is really what he said. He was like, if you find yourself in a lacking of hungering and thirsting after God's word, what you need to do is simply rely on the Pavlovian responses and create, and cook your favorite meal uh, and get nice and hungry and enjoy the smells and then sit down and set it in before you. And right when you're really hungry inside, don't dig in and eat, but instead read God's word. Uh, and then uh, maybe then after the next time you go to read God's word, you know the smell of steak will still be on your Bible and uh, you'll find more attention. He really did think that it's just a practical thing, uh, but whatever it is is, I really do encourage you, uh, through this sermon series, as we're going to be moving through the book of Hebrews, that uh, you, you find, find time devoted across to, to read ahead and to prepare. Um, because again, certainly, the things is going to be much, much more of a rich experience for you to uh, digest this over the week, uh, and certainly the things we're going to be sharing uh, just on Sundays won't... won't do justice to the entire chapters that we're uh, tasked with with preaching over, and so uh, a little bit of an encouragement for that uh, with that said this morning, uh, what I want us to do is I want us to actually read through the whole chapter together. Uh, I know that this is this is a cardinal rule of 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 public speaking that they say when you have a direct quote longer than a minute, you're not supposed to do it. Um, but this is God's word that we're talking about after all. Uh, and so I think it can defy that. And so uh, if you uh, have your Bibles, you can pull them out, open them up. If you have an electronic Bible, we're going to be in the ESV version. Uh, if you don't have an electronic Bible, you can reach down into the uh, pew rack in front of you um, and pull up, uh, pull out one of the pew Bibles. Uh, if you're joining us in the pew Bibles, we're going to be on page 1001, Um and, uh, and, and I will take a pause and mention, if you don't have a Bible of your own that you can call uh, your own, please take that one out of the pew and consider it a gift from us to you. We know you'll be uh, blessed by the time you spend in it. Uh, so let's do this, to engage our bodies once more in worship and to remind ourselves uh, and so that we can stay awake for the reading of this entire passage. Why don't you all stand and, uh, in response to God's word this morning? A letter to the Hebrews, chapter 2. Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will." For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him, or made him for a little while lower than angels? You have crowned him with the glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now I'm putting everything in subjection to him. He left nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him for a little while. Was made lower than angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. This is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again I will trust, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children and God has given me. Since therefore the children spare in flesh and blood, share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has power over death, that is the devil. And deliver all those through fear of death were subject to a lifelong slavery. For surely it is not the angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he has been made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Hear the very words of our Lord. Let's pray. Father God, may the reading of your word and the hearing of your word be worshipped to you today. Father, may the Holy Spirit be a gift inside of us to transform our hearts and may we respond to the leadings this morning uh, as we respond to your word. Father, for our seniors that we are going to be sending out and commissioning in the second service, I pray that they likewise hear uh, your word and the specific call to them in their lives. And we celebrate them, and we come alongside them, and we look for ways and many opportunities to hear how you will continue to work in their lives, and how we will continue to to, uh, be able to serve and minister alongside of them. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. Now, may be seated. So, here we are. Starting out in the second book, uh, the second chapter of the book of Hebrews, uh, we start off with an imperative command that is very, very clear, and for all of you uh, good Bible scholars looking back into verse uh, one of the chapter, it begins with a simple word, therefore, and any time if we know uh, as readers of God's word, when we see therefore, what should we remind ourselves? Why is it therefore? What is it therefore? Why is it there? What is it therefore? The author is, is using this word to, to link. And link chapter one specifically into chapter two. He is building the argument. The entire time that he spent talking in chapter one, he's developing an argument that now in chapter two he is linking to that, and he is basing all of his conclusions. He's basing these, especially this first paragraph here in chapter two, uh, as a clarion call because of the truth of chapter one. And so it's helpful for us to remind ourselves of what was the the writer of Hebrews arguing in chapter one. Well, he was arguing that Jesus was greater than. And the angels. If you were here last week, this is what Chris delved out so well and faithfully for us. If you weren't here, uh, or if you're, li- you can uh, always go and access these things online. I encourage you go back and listen to that either via podcasting app or by our website. Um, but we spent last Sunday kind of remembering that we just kept jumping back and forth between uh, what we were reading in Hebrews and going back into the Old Testament because that's exactly how the author decided to present his argument. That in 14 verses of the beginning of chapter one. He spends nine of them just quoting scripture, the Old Testament scriptures. And so the vast majority of chapter one is, is focusing on God's truth and remembering God's truth. Uh, and this is, this is uh, one of the interesting things about that is that all of that quoting of scripture, all of that reminding of truth, and the author has failed to make a specific forward addressing call or command. There's no duty expressed in chapter one. There's no call or implicit command to follow. All of chapter one is is just the truth of God's word reminded to the audience, right? Reminded to this Jewish audience that they would have been so clear of these passages and images would have been rushing into their heads. They were reminded of this truth to now move into chapter two, where he takes a break from quoting Old Testament scripture. And he actually takes a break in the language. Um, he uses some language here that is uh, in some idioms that aren't found anywhere else in the New Testament. As if he spends the entire, entirety of chapter one saying, remember what you already know. And then he breaks from that language to say, now I want to affect you with the application of that truth. I want you to think anew. I want you to think differently. And that's exactly what he does. Now that sounds a little bit technical, but maybe think about this. If you, if you were to spend the entire chapter just pointing to truth, so that you can make one application, then you know that this application is very, very important to our lives. It's easy to see, and this is what I think the author is highlighting, is he is trying to build up all that truth to make a call. A call uh, that we will see that will be a theme throughout the rest of the book. Um, A call that I think is a fundamental action for all of believers to engage with. And this is what it is in in verse one. Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard. This is it. This is the first call. Spends all this time walking through the truth of God's word only to call us to listen to Christ. I think this is our application point number one is that we are just simply listen to Christ. And you may think that might at first sound like a rather anticlimactic uh, application. You're like, what are you talking about? He spends all that effort reminding us the truth and then we're just supposed to listen? That's the call that we have? Well, that's easy. I mean, think about it. How easy is it, is, is it for us to listen? And we listen every day. We spend our entire days listening. You're listening right now to me talking, right? We have tons and tons of outlets that are voices in our lives that we're listening to. Whether we're turning on the news, we're listening to it. Whether we're watching a movie, we're listening to that. Whether we're listening to the radio, we're listening. We're listening, we're listening, we're listening. Listening is a fundamental aspect to the way we all exist. So how easy is it to call that after all this truth, we're just supposed to be reminded to listen, Right? I mean, think about it, think about how many provisions you naturally make every day just to gain some source to listen to. Um, Because I know the audience uh, well enough that Chris is here, uh, I have a default knowing he'll at least answer if nobody else does, but think about it just in the terms of movies. Um, What's a a movie coming out you're really excited to see? What, what is it? Pirates. Pirates, okay, Pirates. So half the people are cheering for you and half the people are judging you right now. And that's okay. That's the way it always is with movies and any one of our preferential things, right? But the Pirates movie, great. The Pirates movie is coming out. This is number like 16 or 17, I think, of these in the series. Um, but think about this. So if you're, if you're an avid follower of the series, if you've been loving these, if they've been great entertainment to you and you know you're going to go see them, think about all the provisions you do. What, what provisions are you going to go out of your way in to specifically do so that you can listen, have that voice into your life to see that movie? What are you going to do? You're going to pay an exorbitant amount of money, right? It's not the dollar theater of our days of our youth anymore. right You're going to pay a lot. What else? You're going to schedule it. And maybe even rearrange if you're one of like the really avid fans, that's got to see it opening day, right? Wait in line. Sneak in candy because it's too expensive because you lost all your money just getting in, right? You're going to think about this. You're going to strategize. How, how can I get that Coke to wedge in under my armpit so it doesn't look like I'm carrying anything in, right? We make all these provisions so easily uh, to just get one little voice, one little movie into our lives. We, we are created to be listeners, Provisions, we make constant provisions every day so that we can have a voice to be listening to. And I think here the clarion call of the writer of Hebrews is saying, in all of the, that you are naturally gifted in making provisions for a voice, make sure you're making a provision for Christ's voice. Make sure you're listening to him. Because really, it's not hard for us to make provisions to listen. Listening is not hard. What is hard is listening to the right voice not letting listening to all the voices become a distraction to listening to the one that matters. And so this is what the writer here is saying. He's saying, listen to the right voice. Listen to Jesus. So ironically, that's the easy voice to listen to. Talked about this in our last um, refocus sermon series. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Jesus is saying, listen to me. It's easy. Fall in love with me. You know, this is the mark of the new creation, the Christ follower, a new nature that wants you to, that maybe even needs to be listening to Christ. So much will be calling for our attentions to not be listening to the right source. And we need to be making sure that we follow here. And we need to remember that we are created and redeemed to listen to the true source. So maybe it asks the question, well, why should we listen? Well, we can continue in verse 1, reading it again. Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard. Listen to Jesus. Lest we, what? Drift. Away from it. Lest we drift away from it. This is the application number two. Don't drift away. Drift is really interesting. This is the only time uh, in the New Testament that this word drift is actually used um, and, and it's nowhere else found in our New Testament. And again, this is where the, the author is specifically trying to give new idioms, new word images, so that can confront the truth and apply this reality that we need to make sure that we aren't drifting away. Uh, the Greek word here, para-riomen, para-riomen, um is simply para, if you break it up, when you be like by, um, and rio, to float or to flow. It's just kind of this easy-sounding to float by, drift. To float away. To go spiritually adrift. You know, C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, talks about drifting, and I liked it so much, I put a quote onto the screen. If you examined a hundred people who have lost their faith in Christianity, I wonder how many of them uh, would turn out to have reasoned out of it by honest argument. Do not most people simply drift away? I think this is true. Because again, the command here isn't, to avoid paddling away. It's not to avoid turning your, their boat around and, and making conscious effort to go away from Christ. But it's the, the simple one, the, the one that's just kind of the, hey, as you're kind of going along and maybe again, you're, you're trying to listen to that voice, but you start listening to other things and when you start listening to other things, it just is a slow, steady process of drifting away. Avoid The slow drift, the devil is cunning and crafty. and I think the most dangerous lies are the ones that sound like truth. And so when we're sitting there listening to the things that sound close, but aren't it, and we just start drifting away. So we again probably want to beg the question, well, how do we not drift away? author's faithful, and talking to us again about being anchored to truth, a concept of anchoring, which we'll come back up when we're in chapter 10. Um, but for here it says, in, uh, again in verse two, for since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? This concept of, of, Drifting away. One of the ways we know we can be anchored is to not neglect the salvation that is given to us. And I think this is our third point of application. Do not neglect such a great salvation. You know, upon first read of these two verses, it may sound like, and you may have that catch, right? Right now, you may have that catch and thinking, wait, 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 is the author of Hebrews maybe pro- proposing that we could lose our salvation? Is that this concept of drifting? Here he's talking again about the angels and the fear that would come into this since the message declared by the angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. This is a reference to the Mosaic law that they all would have been gravitating right along. And one of the things that they know in that is that the law does not save in and of itself. It only exists to condemn and instead point towards the one that you're supposed to put your faith in uh, for salvation. And here the author says, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? So can we lose our salvation? Now, this can't be the case. I mean, we know this from Scripture. Scripture is very clear on this. John chapter 10, verse 28 and 29 says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Or again, in 1 Peter 1, through 3-5, blessed be uh, the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation. We could also skip over to Romans 8, or we could be reading from Ephesians. One, this is a constant theme throughout all the scriptures. We know that we can't lose our salvation because our salvation was nothing that we merited in and of our own. We didn't earn it. Thus, in a gift, we can't lose it. Can't do anything to unravel that. Another reason I think that the writer here um, isn't talking about the fact that we can lose our salvation is because he includes himself in this argument. This This isn't just kind of a call maybe also to all those who don't believe. So maybe the unbeliever don't neglect uh, salvation, which certainly is a true message. But I don't think it's just for the unbeliever too. If we know it's not for the believer losing salvation, we also know it's not for the unbeliever. And I think it's because the author includes himself in this. He says, we, how shall we escape? Not how shall you escape? This is, this is, uh, this is such the kind of the same comparison of saying, um, including ourselves kind of in the perils of not listening to the voice, including our, ourselves and in understanding that we have been given a gift. And if we don't rightly appropriate it, if we don't rightly take it for the gift that it is, then we know that there's a a pressure, a severity to that. There's an, an extreme comparison. And again, I don't think it's punishment and a loss of salvation, but there is seemingly here some retribution that will come for those of us who've neglected our salvation in an internal scope of a, a, a blessing scope there seems to be something wrong about this but again if why make why make such a strong statement why would the why would the author here make such a strong drawing all these images potentially to bring in the fear of thinking that you might be able to lose your salvation why would he make such a strong inference here I think the answer is to point to the absurdity of the application. To point to how crazy it is for us to think that we would choose anything but staying anchored to Christ. Well, of course. Of course, this new life that was given to me, that I am no longer a subject to death, but now I have new life through the power of the resurrection that Jesus has extended to me through faith in him, of course I would hold true to that. Of course I would continue to listen to him. It would be absurd to me to turn to any other way. You know, it's kind of the comparison of, of, of life and death that I think makes this so clear. Um, in the book of Ephesians, Paul writes, in the beginning of chapter two, and you are dead in transgressions and sins in which you once walked, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with he, which he has for us, even when we were dead in our transpass, transpasses, made us alive together with Christ. This is the comparison, a comparison of life and death. If you were once dead and now given life, why would you ever return to living like you were dead again? It would be like a prisoner who's been set free. His bonds have been broken and he is now freed. And then he walks out and he says, you know what, guards at the gate, thanks, but I'm gonna go sleep in my cell. This would be like maybe Lazarus, if we're using death and life, this is a good example. This would be like Lazarus, uh, who had passed away, and Jesus has delayed to come so that he can mourn and weep, a beautiful passage there uh, in Luke, he can come and he can mourn and, uh, and weep for Lazarus, and then raise him back to life. And I imagine then, the passage doesn't go on, but I imagine everybody then walks into the town and then throws a big party for Lazarus, because he was once dead, now he's alive. And so I imagine they're just ringing it in, uh, and they're just having a good time celebrating that. That Jesus is the resurrection and that he can give life. And then I can and then imagine Lazarus at the end of that party kind of be like, oh, kind of sleepy guys, this is good celebration with you. Well, I'm, I'm headed back to my tomb. I'm going to go take a quick nap, right? No, for Lazarus to return to the tomb would not make sense because he's not dead anymore. He's now alive. I think that this is the concept that we should be seeing that when we are made a new creation, when we are given life, it should be absurd for us to think, about anything less than living in that life. And you know, I'm gonna read a, a little bit from a book, and I'm gonna bre- break my uh, uh, public speaking rule yet again. Um, but this is a little book. This is called The Smell of Sin and the Fresh Air of Grace by Don Everett. Um, I call these laundry books because you can kind of read them in the time that it takes to finish a load of laundry. It's super simple. Um, one of the things I like about Don Everett um, or these, these couple series that he has in these books is he's, he really brings about painting these muses or pictures, these, these mind kind of images or thoughts that really kind of help gravitate, um, gravitate my kind of reflection or meditation uh, correctly to think about how God's word says things, not how so oftentimes um, I want to, to uh, misuse them. He has an illustration in here called The Picnic, where he describes a young child um, out at a picnic. Um, and I'm going to read it for you, and I apologize. It, it, it does get a little graphic, but I think, I think that is the point. The Picnic. Imagine a young child sitting near the beach with her parents. There's a great picnic spread before her a wonderfully thick checkered blanket on the grass, simply covered with goodies. Watermelon, I mean, of course. Sharp cheddar cheese with crackers, a bowl of steaming corn on the cob, deviled eggs, chocolate cookies, and dill pickles, that was for Elizabeth, and a clear glass pitcher full of cold lemonade with clinking chunks of ice. It's a good day. Sorry now that you all are hungry. The sun is overhead and the breeze is blowing, just slightly, just enough to keep the flies away. But the daughter, the little girl, she's sitting on the grass next to the blanket. Well, she's eating, that's for sure. But she's eating dirt-covered rocks. Yes, rocks. As sure as the grass is green and the sun warms the air, she is picking up pebbles and stones from the ground around her and eating them. Her teeth are beginning to chip and crack in places. She's forcing a smile. Of course, her parents try desperately to stop her, but she's a determined little girl, and the longer she goes without real food, the more desperate she gets. She's grabbing fistfuls now, grass, rocks, dirt, twigs, all together being shoved into her young mouth, and the parents weep beside her. The sad side of her frenzy next to the wonderful food they've prepared is too much. The blood from her mouth is dripping onto her yellow sundress, and her hands are beginning to shake, and the parents plead desperately through flowing tears. Honey, aren't good for you. You're breaking your teeth, honey. Look at the yummy watermelon on the blanket. Won't you eat that? Their words are tender. It goes on, actually, to carry this image a little bit further, but for the time, I'll stop there. But I think that this is a good, stark reality, because this, I think, is an, an appropriate picture of how so often, uh, when we drift away, what we find ourselves doing is we find ourselves taking perhaps even the good gifts that are given by the Lord and trying to take them out of context from the right source and fill ourselves with maybe these other things that we can attain on our own. And the absurdity of that is the same as this wonderful picnic, everything that's there to be eaten and yet our choice to just sit over on the side and eat rocks. I think this is the absurdity of not choosing to listen to Jesus to drift away. And think about this, this call not to neglect is really a call that, again, should be relatively easy to us. It should be like turning to the blanket and just eating the watermelon because it's not even a command to avoid a negative, right? It's not like maybe like you who grew up with the mantra like I did from my mother who said, Paul... Do not neglect your vegetables, right? That was a negative to me. I'm sorry if you like vegetables, I I did not like vegetables. And that was a negative to me. Or maybe a father who sits in the uh, passenger seat constantly looking over your shoulder and saying, Paul, do not neglect the speed limit, right? This isn't even a call here at the author saying, don't neglect a negative thing. he's saying, don't neglect a positive thing. This is like him saying, Paul, don't neglect your steak dinner wrapped in bacon. With a side of meat, right? And this is, this is don't neglect the freedoms that you have in this country. This is a good thing that is being given. And of course, we don't neglect the good things that are given to us. So how do we tend to neglect? I think we have to again remember the truth of where the source of good things come from. Look down at verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation it was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will what a great trinitarian statement there by the way how cool is it that our God? And there's so much power in the power of a testimony and witness of many. And our God, He Himself can be a witness and a testimony uh, in three persons as one God. And here we see that we see the Son's work, and we see uh, the God, the Father's provision, and uh, the Holy Spirit being the enacting of the will. A gift of salvation is in God's control to give, and it is good. And it's when we forget that truth is when we drift. When we take those good gifts and we forget the source of them. And this happens. This happens naturally. You know, I'm reminded of, of Luke and, and his parable about the banqueting, when he tells us the parable about the banqueting table. when we have the master who's prepared this feast for us. And while that one, I think, is talking about salvation, I think it still plays in here. He's prepared this great feast for us. Uh, And he goes and he he invites people to come and to partake in this party and this banquet. Uh, And the first guy says, actually, hang on, I bought a field. Let me go tend to my field. And he misses out on the banquet. The second guy says, I bought some oxen. Let me go hang out and tend to my oxen. And he leaves the feast. And the last guy says, I've married a wife. And he walks away to go tend to his wife. Right? There's nothing wrong about buying land. There's nothing wrong about buying oxen. Certainly nothing wrong about having a wife. These are good things. These are good gifts. But what happens is those people told to us in the parable, what they have done is they've forgotten the source of those good gifts and let those things be a distraction. So maybe that's what we need to ask ourselves this morning. What provisions of voices are we making in our own lives? How much attention do we heed and listen to uh, in the care of our finances, care of our house, care of our family, concerned about our social media presence, or our popularity amongst our coworkers or our friends. Not bad things. A house is not a bad thing. Finances are not a bad thing. Influence is not a bad thing. Having friends and having relationships, not a bad thing. But when we let those things call us away for them themselves being good gifts of their own merit, then we forget the line. And instead, we should submit those things back to God and listen to His voice so we don't drift away and we don't neglect such a great salvation. So we submit our good gifts to God. I think on that, I think we can close. And Maybe, maybe here as we move into our time of invitation, you, you may be here um, maybe never accepting this good gift in the first place. Maybe you don't even have the ability to neglect because you've never partook in the beginning and that today could be the day of salvation. Don't leave today without accepting that good gift. For those of us who have, um, I pray that the Holy Spirit convicts all of us in ways that we are taking that good gift of salvation and forgetting to submit it under the control um, and to think rightly uh, about our time and investment to hear from Christ and the good life he is calling us to. Not one of legalism or rules of don'ts, but ones of freedom and life abundant found in Him. And I hope the Holy Spirit convicts us of those things and that we have the diligence through His empowering to get rid of them. Maybe you need to do that by praying where you are or coming to the altar and praying. Um, whatever it is and however you respond, uh, I'm going to pray and then I'm going to invite you to do just that. Father God, thank you again for your words that is made abundantly clear to us today And there is a great salvation that you offer that we could not attain we were hopeless blind and deaf to hearing from you there is nothing we could do to get that right relationship again yet you saw to that You took that upon yourself to fix. And did so in such an amazing way that you, yourself, in the presence of your son came down, taking our very form, knowing our temptations, knowing our struggles, knowing our suffering, even a suffering to death. God, I don't know why you did it that way. But clearly, you've done it one of the ways you've done it. Demonstrated that to us is in your suffering and in your death you can offer life. And so, Father, may we respond to life and life abundant, and may we not misappropriate your gifts to us, but rightly see them for what they are and pour into them only as we listen to you. Let me praise things in your name. Amen.